Welcome to Trustworthy AI, Dearest Business Adoption of AI, hosted by Pamela Gupta, a leading voice in business strategy, technology, and cybersecurity. With extensive experience in global industry leadership, Pamela has explored critical themes like achieving business value with AI by adopting a holistic risk-based approach to AI trust. She defined eight essential pillars of trustworthy AI. Read more details at the trustedai.ai website. Her insights have shaped the way we look at the impact of cyber warfare on business, strategies for efficient digital transformation, and governance views on algorithmic failures. Join Pamela as she delves into her signature framework, AI Tips, standing for Artificial Intelligence Transparency, Integrity, Privacy, and Security. This podcast is all about operationalizing governance and building trustworthy AI systems from the ground up. Whether you're an industry professional or just AI curious, Trustworthy AI offers thought-provoking discussions and expert insights to guide the ethical future of technology. I am your host, Pamela Gupta, CEO of Trusted AI and host for the podcast, Trustworthy AI, De-Risk AI Adoption for Business. I believe Trustworthy AI is essential to be built in in the very DNA of a uh, AI system development, adoption, or deployment. And uh, hence, the, our logo, Trusted AI, has a, a DNA strand for the I in AI. Um, why do we need trustworthy AI and can it really help uh, a business to adopt it at the very outset, right? That's that's what this podcast is about. And I'm really excited to have Adrian with us. So Adrian Sanabria is a uh, veteran and a thought leader in InfoSec. Um, so you've heard of him, you've seen him in many uh, different avenues, media outlets, such as his podcast, Security Weekly, um, uh, Cybersecurity Risk Alliance. And he's a thought leader who is very much looking at InfoSec holistically. Um, he's a su successful generalist, a, a self-proclaimed generalist, but I would say he's an, uh, very much a holistic expert and has over two decades of experience in in hacking, in developing, in breaking, building, and teaching in information security. So welcome to the well, podcast. Thank you. Thank you for that generous intro. Absolutely. So um, I wanted to kind of start out with a topic that is um, on top of everybody's mind, mm -hmm. which is generative AI. But when we're talking about de-risking it and creating trustworthy uh, generative AI, there are a lot of things that come to mind. One of them is cybersecurity. Um, case in point, recently there was at DEF CON a, a red teaming exercise around uh, breaking AI, generative AI, and testing it and kicking its tires right to see if it's secure. So I'm going to um, be focused a little bit more on what is the right approach when it comes to securing LLMs, large language models, and generative AI. 
so we'd like to go into red teaming. But before we do that, I want to ask you, what do you see as the value of generative AI? And I, I think the value is huge. I, I think before LLMs, you know, and, and, and I think really the watershed moment was, uh, was open AI and making ChatGPT available to the general public. Like being able to put your hands on, on a technology makes such a difference. Like, like we've been talking about quantum computing for, for decades and you can, you can go to IBM, you know, a few other vendors and, and you can actually use a quantum computer. Uh, but it's, it's much more difficult to do that than it is to uh, get a free account on, on ChatGPT, jump in there and start writing things in, in the prompts. So it's, um, you know, I think before with, a, with AI, you know, it was just like quantum computing. It's one of these technologies that you'd hear about you know, like you'd hear about digital transformation, like no, nobody knows what it is, but you know, every, everybody talks about it, the word gets thrown around and, and you, you might have a general idea of, of, of what we're talking about, but it's much more tangible when there is a free service or a very cheap service out there where, where you can go and use it. So I think this has really transformed how people see AI. And I, I should jump back a little bit. It, not just ChatGPT, but Dolly and all the image generators as well, right? Like a lot of those are free and you can jump in and, and create things. And, uh, and most of our social feeds uh, on a daily basis, we're seeing things now generated by uh, some of these generative AI tools. So we're, we're suddenly very much exposed to the results of that. Whereas like the quantum computing, you know, we hadn't seen the output of, of anything with that. You know, we can't even do an error correction with quantum computing yet. So it's very much still you know, kind of like a, uh, you know, future technology could have an impact on something, but I, I think it's, you know, you know, the, the value that we're seeing from AI was almost immediate in some use cases. And I, I think that's one of the interesting things here is to dial in on the use cases where it is useful. I think people tend to jump to extremes and there are a lot of podcasts and discussions about, you know, is AI going to destroy humanity and things like that? And then you, you know, you look at the value people are actually getting out of it. Uh, you know, they're formatting data for, for a, a spreadsheet, right? <laughs> they're, they're, uh, taking a 1500 word blog post and making it 800 words. You know, they're, they're very, you know, low level, humble, uh, uh, type of types of use cases, uh, but save a ton of time. You know, we, we were paying somebody, you know, something like $10,000 a month to create content for us, to generate content for us. And honestly, a $20 a month uh, uh, chat GPT account uh, was delivering better value, you know, than, than that 10 grand that we were, we were paying, uh, you know, a content writer for. So it's, it's definitely had an impact. There's definitely, definitely value in it, but um, yeah, so far very specific use cases. Other use cases are still very much up in here. Yes, thank you. I think that is an excellent point. The It is so compelling and such a, uh, could be a potential cost saver. So it's very compelling for business reasons, right? It's not something that's going to go away, um, which brings me to the next point, right? Given the fact that it is on the horizon, and it's very much, as you said earlier in your first point, right, that the reason it has become so important in everybody's lives and become an important part of a conversation is that 
it's not something that is being done about you or for you. This is something that can be tangible in a user's hands, right? We can all see what we can do with it. This is not that you don't need a a highly sophisticated um, usage of AI. This is AI that everybody can see and use. So what that brings with it some known and unknown dangers. What do you think uh, are the risks of ALS? Yeah, you know, it's, it's really transformative technology. You know, like when you think back to the internet, we had all kinds of problems with the internet. You know, browsers uh, weren't secure uh, in the beginning. Uh, if you recall, when we started buying things online and using credit cards online, you know, no websites were encrypted. You know, it, it, it happened rather fast, but only 15 years ago, still like over half of the web wasn't encrypted yet. You know, and then Google said, okay, well, we're, we're going to trash your page rankings unless you set up HTTPS on your website. All of a sudden, everybody got that, got that encrypted real quick because the correct incentives were there. Uh, if you were on the internet, if you had a website mm -hmm. to use security. You know, so we're, we're going to see the sim some similar things here where we have to make sure the right incentives are in place. And, and one of the things I worry about here is, is when this data is trained, and in the example I, I love to use is, um, is uh, I'm going to blank on the name right now, uh, Stack Overflow. You know, so if I'm going to train data, and Stack Overflow mm -hmm. is one of the early websites to say, Hey, in the future, if you, if you want to scrape our data and use our data for training in your models, you're going to have to pay us. And Reddit was very close behind, but they, they've since closed their data, even though it's publicly visible. Uh, you know, some of these, uh, the companies that build these uh, training sets, these data sets, are now going to have to pay to access that data to include it in a training model. But if you've ever been on Stack Overflow, you ask a question, you know, my code won't run or I'm having trouble with Excel. You know, there's all kinds of technical questions people go there for. And then the person who asks the question can say you get 16 answers. They can go through those answers. Some of those answers are right. Some of them are wrong. Uh, some of them that are right are more useful than others. You know, the, the responses is better formatted. It was more helpful. Maybe they wrote some example code. Uh, and you get to choose the accepted answer. So one of those 16 answers has a green check mark on it. Now, when, the, when this data was uh, collected uh, to produce uh, a large language model, you know, was that training aware of the green check mark of the one that was accepted? Or does it treat the wrong answers equally mm -hmm. as the accepted correct answers versus the correct answers that are maybe less useful? You know, there's this whole gradient of right and wrong information, of factual and made up and biased information on, on the internet. And this this stuff, I, I can't imagine that they're adjusting the quality for all these different things because it would be so hard to do. Just Stack Overflow is just one website. Reddit is just one website. Um, and they're useful to humans because they've got the up and down votes. But once you're scraping that text off of there and just feeding it into a machine, I've got to imagine you're, you're getting the bad data in there and it's being probably being treated equally to all the other data. Uh, unless I'm wrong about this and, and they have these, you know, this custom programming where they're going in there and they've got a, you know, a, a quality ranker uh, script for Reddit and then one for Stack Overflow and one for every single website out there, which I, I mean, that would be a huge undertaking. But otherwise, 
you know, the information you're getting out of an LLM is about as right or wrong as the internet. The entire internet is right or wrong. And there's a lot of bad information on the internet, as, as, as we know well. In fact, I've tested this. Uh, there are, there's a few organizations who make up fake stats uh, in InfoSec. And, uh, you know, and you've seen the like $10 trillion in damages, uh, a stat that gets thrown around. Sometimes it's $9 trillion, sometimes it's $15 trillion. Uh, and, and, and that stat is, has been dissected, you know, by, by tons of different academics and di different groups. And it's, it's very wrong, but chat GPT will offer that up to you. That was a fact, you know, because it's been out there enough. It's, it's been in forums, it's been in, you know, all these different publications, uh, and it's, uh, permeated the internet. It's incorrect information, but chat GPT doesn't know that all it knows is that, you know, I've seen this a lot out there, uh, and it's, uh, you know, it ends up in those responses when you ask it questions. That's true. Um, it is, uh, it's a problem that I was reading that is not going to go away because that is the very, uh, way these models work and how they're, uh, you know, how they're training the, the whole reinforcement cycle, et cetera. So, this is not a problem that we would be able to solve. So it almost sounds as if the people who should be using or trusting the output from these systems should be limited to a group who understands what the context is and be able to determine if these answers are, you know, indeed spot on, accurate, can be used uh, further for further decision-making or so, analysis, etc. So, Again, this comes back can, to your yeah. use case. If I wanted to shorten my blog post from 1,500 words to 700 words, I don't care how good it is at facts, right? Like, it's it's very loose case dependent. Right? Yeah, that's an excellent point. So how do you think um, businesses can actually um, solve for this, right? What is... Is there a um, okay? Um, that's that's. I think we kind of went into that. So let's let's uh, talk a little bit about the cybersecurity risks that come from LLMs. Is there a risk that you see that is unique to generative AI, a cybersecurity risk, and what? What are they? And then we can talk about some of the mitigation. Yeah, so the, there's claim cybersecurity use cases where, you know, one I've seen pulled into a lot of products. We, we do see a lot of vendors using um, LLMs now, you know, to to improve their products, you know, speeches and the products. One of them is remediation guides, you know. So if the LLM was created in uh, 2021, I think September 2021 is... Uh, uh, at, at least last time I checked when ChatGPT, uh, when its model was last updated. Any information newer than that, it's not aware. So if I ask it for how to fix a security vulnerability or, or a misconfiguration in, in Google Cloud, and Google Cloud did a total refresh of their UI and their UX in 2022, it doesn't know about that. Yeah. It's going to tell me to go to this screen that no longer exists and then click this, which no longer exists. You know, that, that information is going to be out of date. You know, so the, the age of the LLM and what it knows is something you have to take into account. And then the, the easy fix for that is we now have plugins, you know, with ChatGPT and, and other open source, uh, since open source LLMs are out there, you know, people are, are 
you know, giving it all kinds of plugins and power where it can just reach out to the live internet and uh, and gotcha. learn stuff that maybe the, the language model itself doesn't have in there. But because it can browse the web and look for things, uh, it you can solve some of that with that. But then, you know, that runs into other issues as well. You know, because... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, may, maybe... So it browses the internet, I was, it looks for how to remediate that. that, and it picks up in an article that was written in 2020. And then you're right back at square one. You've got the same problem. You know, the article isn't new enough. It's it's giving you outdated uh, instructions to fix a, a problem. Right. And the other issue um, I know that you're going to be talking about when it comes to LLM access to open internet, is that API access, right? The API, firstly, API abuse is has been part of the OASP top 10, um, which is the organization that takes a look at what are the security vulnerabilities in uh, internet accessible system. So API abuse being one, and then it's a question of prompt injections, as we know, right? So these are, these are not easy problems to solve. Um, what is your thought about the red teaming exercise that um, even the White House was uh, putting its weight behind DEFCON? And how um, adequate do you think a red teaming exercise is for something that is so complex, such as LLMs? Because for me, the very premise of uh, red teaming is kind of like kicking a tire to see, you know, is yeah. it robust, right? Is it going to withstand? But it, it presupposes that the tire has been built to specification. Right. It has been uh, following standards and is, is a robust uh, right. built product. So I'd uh, love to hear your thoughts yeah, on that. Uh, you know, and with red team and hand testing in general, not even specific AI, you know, scope is very important. You know, if if I tell you what I need you to do a pen test, um, mm -hmm. but all you're allowed to do is is try to break this encryption, um, you know, you're you're taking a lot of things off the table, like my ability to social engineer a user and steal the private key for that encryption, or hack into a computer and and steal that private key. Uh, and, and in the real world, that's how we see most security broken is out at the fringes. Like uh, the control isn't attacked directly; it's often attacked indirectly. Or, or the mistake that uh, results in our downfall is like a simple misconfiguration. It's uh, like something we see with a lot of IoT devices is that, uh, you know, to keep using my encryption uh, uh, metaphor here, uh, the private key is stored in the same directory, you know, as, as, as the encrypted data. You know, so if you get any access to the system at all, private keys right there, you can decrypt all the data. Um, so with, with uh, generative AI, you know, it's very similar. Like, like a lot of the focus I've seen is, oh, it'll help me build malware. I can improve my malware. Things that are very direct. And I think the real world issues are going to be much more indirect when we when we see this used. Uh, for for example, and again, all this comes back to use cases. Yeah, you know, I, I see an irresistible use case for a company uh, where there are going to be products and offerings that allow you to train an LLM on a company's internal data. Like imagine, you know, maybe it takes me 30 hours to build the quarterly report that I present to the board. Uh, once I feed all my company's information to an LLM, 
I can just tell it and I can feed it copies of old quarterly reports. And it's like, oh, okay, yeah, I know how to do this. I know where to find the data to put this report together. All of a sudden you save 30 hours a quarter because you can just ask it to create, to generate that report. Uh, but then somebody realizes, oh, HR data was also fed into that. So, you know, it begins to be abused internally. And somebody says, you know, what, what, uh, you know, what, what was uh, David's uh, performance bonus last, last quarter, you know, and how much work did they do to, uh, you know, to uh, justify that bonus. So these are the kinds of things you're not going to see show up in, in like a red teaming exercise uh, or, or attackers will realize that a company's internal LLM is connected to an email address and they can now, you know, start uh, pen testing basically that or, or exfiltrating uh, sensitive data, proprietary data through a company's email address or through a, a chatbot even maybe Right on the front of their webpage, the little chatbot that's, you know, like intercom, something that's like that that says, how can I help you? That's going to be a key use case for, for LLMs. LLMs are very good at automated support. Uh, and if you, if that training data, if that model is fed data that shouldn't be in there, people will find it and, and they'll, they'll abuse those and they'll figure out how to pull out the data. Wow, that's a very uh, great point, and Adrian. Uh, really, really something for everyone to think about because, and not only is it a so, for example, when I'm thinking about LLM security, right, of a enterprise AI LLM security model, I'm thinking about hey, you know what, the traditional access model doesn't change. This act the existing cybersecurity measures don't change. And then there are things such as how LLMs can now, uh, you know, like I was talking about earlier, API abuse and um, things of that nature. But you bring up an excellent point, which is what about data that is fed in there, which actually can yeah. cause further uh, vulnerability? Yeah. Right. That's, that's really, uh, and I think, think that's one of the top. So, so there's, there's a couple of things that I recommend people do. You know, the first is to actually use it, uh, to get familiar with how it works. Uh, and, and if you want to play around with prompt injections, which is probably the number one risk, uh, with LLMs, in fact, OWASP has an LLM top 10 and that is number one on their top 10 is prompt injections. Right. Um, so go check out, uh, OWASP, uh, top 10 for large language models. Um, but, uh, there, there's a company out there, uh, that, that has a tool that you can use to practice prompt injections called Gandalf. So if you go to gandalf.lacero.ai, uh, you can, that, that gives you a really good idea of what prompt injection looks like and, and how it works. And, uh, the other thing I recommend that, that people do is, uh, they really need to understand data classification in, in the organization because there will come a time. Oh, where somebody yeah. says, we're going to feed the company's data into this thing and we're going to have this amazing virtual employee that knows the answer to all our questions and has perfect memory and, and can do amazing things. And, and all that is correct. Uh, but to make it amazing, they're going to have to shove a lot of data into it. And when that happens, you're not going to have time to pick and choose what data that is. Uh, a lot of data is just going to be shoved in there wholesale. So you need to start organizations need to start now identifying 
that that well, separating their data out, making sure they have solid data classification and labeling so that when that time comes, they can say, we know what data is safe to shove in there and what data is not, like the HR data, you know, for example, if that's not your use case. Yes, thank you so much. Those are excellent points to um, think about as we end this. Uh, I think it brings up the point about, yes, access control, as we know, is a foundation of InfoSec, right? And to take that into, it brings it into a much more uh, higher impact when it, when we're talking about putting in sensitive data or not having a cognizance of what is sensitive data as we put it into these LLMs. So uh, really excellent points. And um, I think uh, this is a good point yeah. to conclude on. You know, we're going to be having more conversations, but uh, this is, uh, thank you so much for giving us that insight, those insights as well as your points uh, to think about as we go. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Vamo. Thank you, Adrian.